have a bunch of other guys. What's crackalackin' everybody? Money Smart Guy, Matt Zapali here, and welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Goals Podcast. Special episode today because it's an interview, my first ever interview here on the Millionaire Goals Podcast. We have former Navy SEAL Garrett Unkelbach, first and foremost, follower of Christ, entrepreneur, uh, venture capitalist, uh, founder CEO of Unkelbach Developments, uh, Bellator Construction, owner of Garrett Unkelbach Coaching, runs a men's ministry here at Elevate Life Church that I'm honored to be uh, a part of on Saturday mornings uh, when he has you do 15 push-ups at his pace uh, with your <laughs> face on the ground. But that, with that being said, uh, Pastor Garrett Unkelbach, welcome here to the Millionaire Goals Podcast. Matt, so honored to be your maiden voyage of <laughs> an it. interview. I t- <laughs> Put that, I got I to gotta write that down or make myself a plaque for that one. Honored to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I'll make that plaque for you. For sure, <laughs> I'll make that plaque for you. So, um, you know, oftentimes people talk about uh, their faith or their finance, uh, but hardly ever both. Yeah. So, uh, you know, before we jump into some of the topics we have today, because we have uh, some things we're going dis- to be discussing throughout the show about the fat, lazy, and woke current Department of Defense, <laughs> you know, me serving the Marine Corps, you being a former Navy SEAL. Yeah. Uh, we have an opinion on this. We got some opinions on that one, for sure. <laughs> uh, fatherhood, the crucial role of strong men in shaping children's lives. You're a family man. You're, you're married children. Yeah. Uh, Texas is proposing a bill that credit that gives tax credits to non-divorced traditional married couples, and we'll discuss what potential mm. financial impact that might Interesting. be. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of things here on Twitter, some things that uh, Pastor Garrett has put here on Twitter himself that we'll be reacting to. We'll be unpacking some of the opinions uh, and positions he's had uh, as well. Um, there's a the conversation here we're going to be talking about on a Medal of Honor recipient on what he feels about what the American military should be. And so uh, let's jump into faith and finance. So uh, Pastor Garrett, um, how did you end up becoming a Navy SEAL? Everybody wants to know. Yeah. And um, a pastor at that. Okay. I will get into all that. And I just want to say, like, I love the topic of what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. faith and business. So much of my life is inspired by those two things. I grew up with uh, an incredible family, parents who love me. I'm very blessed in that. And I have a father who was a serial entrepreneur. And then my father's best friend uh, is Pastor Pastor Keith Kraft, the, yes, the senior pastor course. at Elevate Life Church. Amen. If you're in Frisco... Shout out to Pastor Keith. Yeah, shout out to Pastor Keith. You need to come check us out. Um, but I had two fathers in my life. I had a business owner father, and I had a incredible leadership thinker, um, ministry-minded pastor father. And so that shaped me so much because um, he played a great role in my life, just like you know my, my father Scott did. And faith and business together for me, it's really one of my greatest dreams in life. Because um, I, I, you know, I saw this and I experienced this growing up where there's people who, you know, because I grew up in the church and I grew up around business people. And there are people in the church who like, well, yeah, you can, you know, if you're going to do church, you got to do this stuff and you got to be this way and you can't be successful uh, because people who are successful, you know, they, they take from people. People who are successful, they have to act this way. People who are successful, they have to treat others this way. Yeah. And, and there's also people who are the, on the other side of that. Yeah, like, you know, I, I respect God, I believe in the Bible, but I'm a businessman, Yeah, right? Yeah. And both of those things are wrong. And so, and, and I got to experience and grow up under people who taught me to think differently and not only just taught me, but displayed it. So, so much of my life and, and one of my dreams is to never stop leading in ministry and be as successful as I possibly can. Because I, I think uh, following God for people is one of those things where they don't try it or they won't walk in it because they've never seen it just really live by somebody. But mm-hmm. until you experience someone, yep. when you meet someone who that's what their life is completely about, yeah. that 
they'll be changed by that because people will buy all kinds of nonsense off the internet that they, they know is not going to work. You pay $100 for some, you know, vitamin or pill to help them lose weight. And they know like there's a 95% chance this won't work, but they'll buy it anyways. They'll just, buy the hope. Yeah, they'll, they'll buy the hope. The only reason that I think people won't try a relationship with Christ is because no one's given them that, that hope hmm. that it'll work. And when they can see someone do that, uh, I think they will try it. So it's really been uh, some of the greatest weight in my life, and, and I mean weight in a good way, to want to live that way, that yeah. people could see someone and not see me, but they would see God, that they would see a way of living and a way of acting uh, that's different than what they've seen before. It's, it's one thing to be part of the Navy, but you wanted to become a Navy SEAL. You became a Navy SEAL. Yeah, so... so- here you are, you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, you believe in winning souls for Christ, but at the same time, too, taking... Name, taking souls yeah. uh, uh, as a Navy SEAL because it's not like you're uh, a nonprofit peacekeeping mission. You're, you're there to surgically. We were, we were not in the Peace Corps. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I joined right out of high school. I knew from a young age that I wanted to serve and probably serve in the military. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a pilot for a long time, but I grew up in a culture that, that taught servant leadership. Pastor Keith, at a young age, when I, when I was young and the church was just starting, he would talk about servant leadership, mm-hmm. right? And that's the model that Christ gives us of servant leadership. And I knew I wanted to serve, and I felt like I also needed to represent you know, my family and my, my church family by serving in the military. Yeah. And there's a prayer um, that I've like prayed a couple times in my life, and, and each time I've prayed it, God has... Uh, answered it in, in a profound way. But when I was like young and in my teenage years, sometimes I would pray, God, why did you make me this way? Because I felt very different and I felt like I had skills and abilities that I didn't know what to do with them. And at the end of my time in high school, I thought I'd wanted to be a pilot, uh, but I learned about SEAL training. I watched a, an awesome documentary called Bud's Class 234. <laughs> if you haven't watched it, go check it out. You don't have to watch the whole thing. It's about four hours long, but it is a really- Was it a History Channel? Or it was, was a Discovery yeah, Channel yeah. documentary. Discovery. Okay. Bud's class 234. Everything that's in there is true. I'll just tell you, that's not everything. There's stuff about SEAL training that doesn't make it in the documentary, obviously, but everything that's in the documentary is true. And I saw that and I immediately knew this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, Every man's asking himself the same question, Matt. And that question is, am I who I think that I am? Right? We want to, like, we think something of ourselves. We want to know, is this who we really are? Mm -hmm. And what I knew for SEAL team, the, what SEAL training would be for me was an opportunity to test that. But, so I wanted to serve. I wanted to test who I was. And I also wanted to go and be around the best of the best. If I was going to join the military, and I knew there's, there's a life risk when you do that. You, you signed that, mm-hmm. that same contract sure. that you, it could have cost you your life. If I was going to be in that situation, I wanted to pay the price, be around the best. I wanted to, if, yeah. if it's in the most difficult situation, at least know that the guy next to me yeah. is willing to pay an incredible price too. Um, so I made it through SEAL training. Uh, I started Bud's Class 286. I got pinned with Bud's Class 289. One of a handful of students under 20 years old in my class to make it through training. Most people just don't make it that young. And just to... How old were you? I was 19 when I started. Dang. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'm sorry. I, was 20. I, I just turned 20. I was 20 when I started. Okay. Graduated at 21. But most people uh, don't make it through at that young age. The average age in my class was almost 25, a bunch of NCAA athletes, college educated, far, far more physically prepared, yeah. and in some ways mentally prepared. And if you, you know, you might ask the question, like, what allowed you to do that at a young age? I can tell you, like, I went in, in some ways, I went in there extremely unprepared for SEAL training. A lot of these guys had been in Physically? uh, Somewhat physically. Um, Because you're you're athletic in high school. I was, but like I said, I was a bunch of NCAA. I was a good athlete. I wasn't a great athlete. 
right? We can go play anything, and I'm gonna do all right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if I'd have, if I'd have gone to college, I'd have probably walked on to athletics, you know, at like a D three. But you were getting a scholarship. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, get an yeah, athletic scholarship. Okay. Yeah, um, but so some there were so many guys in my class that were like our good buddy Steve Weatherford. Did. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> Shout Steve, out to Steve Weatherford. Man. Yeah, he's a different kind of human <laughs> for um, sure. The vanilla these, gorilla. Yeah. The vanilla gorilla. Yeah. Some of these guys were incredibly athletically gifted. All of that, or they'd been in a SEAL training pipeline with a SEAL mentor yeah. for years. The first SEALs that I met were my instructors. Right, like I didn't know much about this program. I literally watched a documentary. I read a book called Warrior Soul, and I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna go do this." Wow. And uh, what's interesting about that is because I, it's different now. I, I work with a lot of tadpoles, guys who are trying to become SEALs, and they know so much about the program. Whereas back then, I knew so little. Uh, yeah. One of the difficult things we would do in SEAL training called log PT, which you're, which which comes from this log PT part of SEAL training comes from World War II. Uh, POWs, oh, wow. right? Like they experienced this wow. as a POW. And like, if you read the book Unbroken, he talks mm-hmm. about this, right? And they came and brought that back to SEAL training. They said, this would be, it's a great training tool. Um, but anyways, I thought that was every day. And like, I was mentally prepared for that. And then I was like, oh, it's only twice a week. Yeah. This isn't that bad. So there were some strengths to not being uh, as prepared as others, but really the strength that I had, because really I was uh, in the beginning of SEAL training, you get Tested just athletically. Let's just see where everyone's at athletically, right? And, and being a SEAL is not about being an athlete. Um, because if it was, that's who they would recruit as just athletes. Yeah. You just need a measure of athletic ability. But when they tested us all athletically, run, swim, strength training, I'm in the bottom third of the class. Wow. Right? So I'm... I'm in terms of time and yep, how quick time, you do something. Yep, times runs on runs and swims. And swims. I, I'm, I'm strong. I didn't struggle yeah. in that area. But I was not a... You know, we, we had collegiate runners. There was a guy who was an Olympic trialist <laughs> as a runner sponsored by Adidas. Um, so, or, or guys that, you know, were winning uh, titles and, and banners at Arizona as a swimmer. I mean, so incredible yeah, athletes. guys run like a four-minute miles type guys. For yeah. sure. Well, they're, I mean, I barely passed all of my four-mile timed runs by like <laughs> seconds. And at the end of Bud's, I get down to 28 minutes, right? There were guys who would show up how, and for run. For how many miles? Four miles. Four miles and 28 minutes. Four miles, 28 minutes, but that's in pants and boots on the beach. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, you're moving, but there were guys who could do it in 2470, I mean, 20, 24, 45 yeah. and no problem. Right. Yeah. Like, and it was all that I had yeah. to do that. But wow. anyways, to bring that back to the point, what I did have that other people didn't have was a sense of purpose and destiny on my life. Uh, something I heard all growing up, right. I talked about having two fathers. My, my parents said this to me all the time growing up. They'd say, Garrett, God has a plan for your life right? Since I was five years old, they would tell me that, Matt. I didn't, most people would think like, why would you tell a five-year-old that? And, and truly, I mean, from the time I was five years old, they'd tell me that. Why would you tell a five-year-old that? He has no idea what it means. No, he doesn't. He has no idea what it means. I remember that they said it when I was five, right? And so just a, a thought and a lesson for you fathers. I'm a father as well, but I got a, I got a two-year-old and a two-week-old, so I don't know a ton from experience. I know- Two weeks? Two weeks. Holy moly, yeah, man. Two, two, I got one that's two, two years and one that's two weeks. I don't know a ton from having been a father, but I know a lot from having been a son of a great, of a great father. And my, what a profound statement. My parents would speak over my life, right? So when I'm five years old, God has a great plan for your life. Didn't mean anything to me at five. Didn't mean anything to me at 10. Barely meant anything when I was 15. 
But when I would face difficult times when I'm 19, when I'm facing difficult times when I'm 20, when I think my life's over when I'm 22 years old, I'm reminded of how many times this has been spoken over me. And you get the opportunity to test it and know that it's true. And so just a reminder for you parents, um, don't think that you can't speak into your children's life. You can. You can plant seeds that grow later. Right? Don't, don't, don't not speak into their life just because you think they don't understand now. They don't have to understand. They'll remember. Yeah. Right? So the one thing that my parents did was they would always say, God has a plan for your life. And then they would tell me something else. They would say, you can have anything you want in life as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. And I call that potential. When you put those two things together, purpose, God has a plan for your life, and you can have anything you want in life as long as you're willing to pay the price for it, potential, I call that infinite potential. Mm. And that's for, that's for anybody. But you have to believe those things and work on those things. If you think it's that one of my favorite quotes, Matt, is Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're, you're right. right. And it's a self-fulfilling, <laughs> it's, it's a self-fulfilling truth. If you don't believe it, you're right. If you believe that, you're right. And whether you can, if you can have anything you want as long as you're willing to pay, pay the price for it, that's self-fulfilling. And I like to pair with that now, Ray Dalio says, you can have anything you want, you just can't have everything you want. You have to get focused, right? But there's a, there was a moment for me where this kind of all culminated. At the end of Hell Week, which is a very difficult portion of SEAL training, this is the fourth week. Full seven days. Yep. You start on Sunday night and you don't finish until Friday. You get one hour of sleep on Wednesday, one hour of sleep on Thursday. That's it. You'll run over 200 miles during that time. Holy moly. Most of that is with a boat, like these Zodiacs on your head, six guys under a boat. It will test you to your very core. And what they know at the end of that training is that if you can make it that far, every single man that's still there would like literally keep going until they they fell out and died. Um, It's an incredible test of, of what's within a man. What, what, type of, what type of guy were you under the boat? Were you the type of guy that was just silent, strong, and steady? Or were you the guy that said, come on, get, you know. I can tell. Pick, pick, up, pick up your side that's of the boat. Where, that's where I had strength uh, was in those difficult moments because I, I wasn't the fastest runner. Yeah. I wasn't the fastest swimmer. Yeah. But when we were being tested and, and it required all of us, that's where a different side of me would come wow. out. Um, but coming back to, to Hell Week, it kind of all culminated for me, this infinite, infinite potential culminated for me at the, in a moment at the end of Hell Week. Because coming into this, I'd been incredibly discouraged. Not, I didn't feel discouraged, but people had discouraged me. My, my whole training program from the time I, I got in. A SEAL. Uh, yeah, from the time I got in. Uh, my roommate in pre-Buds, his father was a Navy SEAL. He had been to Buds before. Number one athlete in the class. Every day he would say, Uncle Bach, you have no chance. Right, and you would think this guy knows a little bit, right? His father was a master chief Navy SEAL over twenty years. He was the number one athlete in the class, top ranked. He'd been to buds before. He was back on his second attempt, and he'd say, "You have no chance here." He would tell me that all the time. And there was a lot I could I could go on and on. There was a lot of ways that uh, outside circumstances would discourage me, tell me that I didn't have a chance here. But I remember from the very beginning thinking of joining SEAL training. You can look at all of the people that didn't make it, right? Because there's only there's a little over four thousand Navy SEALs living and dead. Mm-hmm. There's tens of thousand that have tried. Right, the failure rate is so high. If if you look at it from the very top of the pipeline down to people who become SEALs, yeah. it's a little over eighty percent failure rate. Yeah. And you could look at that and think like, man, how could anyone ever do it? But what I looked at was there's thousands of men who have done it, mm-hmm. and if it can be done, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right. But this infinite potential all culminated for me at a moment at the end of Hell Week, 
right before we started Hell Week, guys in my boat crew were we're, we're sitting in a classroom waiting for Hell Week to start. And that's the painful part, right? Because <laughs> the calm before the, the storm. Yeah, right. The, <laughs> the, the, the hardest part of pain is the anticipation of the pain. And we know we're all about to go through one of the most painful things we've ever been through. And they would just let you sit there in the classroom for hours waiting for it to start. It was difficult. But we would all, my, my boat crew, we all talked like, hey, do you think you'll make it? Hey, do you think you'll make it? And at this point, because I was young and because of the way that I'd been treated, I hadn't spoken up that much or really told people what I thought. But then they finally asked me, hey, do you think you'll make it? And I said, not only do I think I'll make it, I know I'll make it. And not only am I going to make it, but on Saturday when hell week is over, everyone's walking around on crutches, guys have sipe, you know, blood in their lungs, like people are beaten and destroyed. What I'm going to do is go for a run on the beach by myself. I told my boat crew this, right? And they just, you know, they just laughed at me. But, well, I would tell you the ones who, who la- some guys were just like, whatever. The guys who laughed at me didn't make it through training. They didn't finish hell week. But to bring this to a point at the end of hell week, I went on that run, right? I went on that run. And if you know, uh, Coronado, mm-hmm the rocks out in front of the yeah. Dell. I ran down uh, about a mile from the compound, got to the rocks and it was raining that day. You know, great, great luck there. All you want to do after hell week is just be dry. dry. Um, but it's raining that morning, but I go on this run and I get down there to the rocks and I sit on the rocks and I just kind of have a moment with myself and realize that this is a dream that I've dreamed for the last couple of years and to finally see it come to happen and to also for all of that to come true, uh, the things that my parents have spoken over me, that God has a plan for your life, right? Cause there's so many, there's, there's elements of SEAL training that you can't control. And there's a lot of reasons that, I mean, I could tell you there's reasons why I shouldn't have become a SEAL. But there's also a lot of reasons why I did become a SEAL, right? So you could see God's plan there, and you could also see the potential that you can have anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. I don't have all the skills and abilities that other people had, but what I did have was the willingness to do the work. And so those things like just in that moment there on the rocks, realizing that I had dreamed a dream and seeing it come true was a very powerful moment for me. And it also helped me realize the most powerful thing isn't what others see in you, but it's what you see in yourself. You know, when when I've experienced hitting a wall, hitting a limit. There's things that go through my head that I tell myself that allows me to get to the next level. What did you find about yourself when you hit a limit, whether it be mentally or physically, spiritually? What do you tell yourself when you hit those type of limits and you're going to a spot in an area in your life you've never been before? What's going on in your head? Yeah, well, I would say most of the time those limits are artificial limits. I think you, you, have, two, you have two things. You either have limits or you have boundaries, right? Boundaries will protect us. Limits will keep us from becoming what we're supposed to become. And so if you have the right mindset, a, a growth mindset, as Carol Dweck talks about in her book, Growth Mindset, if you have the right mindset around it, you can get to you know something that's hard for you and realize that I can just grow in my capacity. My kind of like thought process philosophy on strength right? Because like you, you, strength is an, an indicator of what your limits are. The way that I like to think about strength and as someone who speaks all the time and teaches, like you'll appreciate this. I was having a moment in my life. This was a couple of years ago where I was like, I had a speaking thing and then I had a coaching thing then I had a business coaching. Thing. I, just, I had a, a crazy week and this had all stacked up together. And I was like, man, I'm going to have to be so on this week. And I was starting to let that like wear me out. And you know, that, that yeah. thought process, that phrase, like, I got to be on. And what I said to myself was, well, I, I was having a moment. I said, you know what? I need to quit being on. Why don't I just raise the level of my character, raise the level of my intensity, raise the level of my strength to where this is my baseline, it's right? Because you can't, you are. yeah, not just going up and down all the time trying to be on. 
in my thought process on strength, right? And this is an indicator of limits. Strength isn't about what you can pick up in a moment. Strength is about what you don't have to put down, right? Because as men, mm. we, we go through life and we're continually having to carry new weights. But these are, these are good weights, right? The weight of fatherhood, the weight of being a husband, the weight of being a business owner. The weights that I carry in my life today, if you had just put all this on top of me five years ago, it would have crushed me. Right, like I, I'm, I went through SEAL training, but I can tell you, and I, and I was a SEAL for, I, I'd served six years, but I can tell you the, the strength and the way that I think now, so much greater than who I was even then. Yeah. Because, so just to come back and answer your question, we have limits, but that's just something for us to grow through, right? So, so in other words, it's self-imposed. Yeah. A lot of these are self-imposed, amazing. You, you face a limit, it's like, okay, this is an area where I need to improve, like, like who's an area that? where I need to learn. Yeah. yeah, but most of the time they're artificial limits, yeah. right? Or, but if it is, a, if it is a, a, a strength limit, right? Okay, I can't pick up 400 pounds yet, I can pick up 300. I'll work my way to 400. Was there like a physical limit, because that's the easiest way to see you push past the limits, the easiest to physically see it, because you're experiencing it? In my, my, my experience, uh, for, me, for me it was my first Ever five mile run? Yeah, like I've never ran. You know, I was I was a hundred yard dash guy. I was a football guy. Two hundred. Me too. Yeah, right. I had to, I had to transition from being a four hundred runner to right. a, a distance runner for miles. Like, and I said, "What are we gonna do?" Last mile. Last last. It's the motivation run. Yeah. How long is it? Five miles. I've never ran five miles. Before. <laughs> motivation run. Right. <laughs> and next still the whole battalion gets together. Up in the morning with the rises. Right. Everybody's yeah. seeing cadence. You're just Jack. Next thing you know, you're like, all right, quick time march from from the double time. Like, all right, platoon, halt. When we're done, that was was that five miles? Like yeah, it was five miles. That was easy. So in other words, the self limitation of me seeing five miles and then being around the right brothers, just willing to go through the run and sing canes along the way, yeah. and just inspire each other, made a large limitation. I thought just a hundred yard dash. It felt like a hundred yard dash. Let me talk. That you make me think of something else. This is a really powerful thing that that limits us. When I'm going through, when I went through SEAL training. Um, I had the opportunity to go back and work a little bit on the other side of Hell Week, right, where I'm not a student in Hell Week, but I'm helping facilitate Hell Week. I wasn't ever a BUDS instructor, but I got to help serve alongside them. And you talk to students who quit, right? Ask these students, hey, why did you quit, right? Because if you make it to Hell Week, the majority of the students that make it to Hell Week have the physical ability to complete the wow. training, right? But now we're going to test your character. You ask the ones who quit, why, why did you quit? And well, every single one of them, they'll give you an answer that sounds something like this. I just decided I don't want to do this anymore. So you're telling me, and this is, you know, for, for when I made it to Hell Week, it had been my dream for almost three years at that point. For most people, like I made the decision in November of 2009, I was in the Navy in June 2010. Like it was a rapid shift for me. Most people prepare for years to get a SEAL contract yeah. and all that. So most of the time, by the time a student is in Hell Week, five years, six years of my whole life has been preparing for this moment. Yeah. And you get to this difficult moment and you're telling me you just decided that you don't want to do it anymore. Ouch. Right? The, uh, the key word there is the first word, I. I. Talk to the students who make it. Why did you make it through training? How were you able to do that? And they'll say, they'll tell you something along the lines of, well, I just didn't want to let down my boat crew. I was thinking about my brother, John, next to me, and I didn't want to leave him behind. That's the right answer. All of them will give you an answer that's something that's not about them, <laughs> right? And this is, this is... Come on. I get the opportunity sometimes to go work with businesses, and people will bring me in as a, yeah. 
motivational speaker, sure. which I tell them I'm, I'm not a motivational speaker, but I, uh, hopefully what I can do is inspire you, but instead of motivate you, because motivation is cheap and it, uh, it goes away as soon as I go away. Yeah. But when I'm talking with some of these businesses or these team leaders and we're looking at why people, you know, don't want to give their best or don't want to give their all in, a question that I'll ask some of the business owners that'll make them start to think differently is how many Navy SEALs do you think died for a paycheck? Exactly. How many men in the military served uh-huh. and died so that their parents could, or their family could get the $400,000 death benefit? Yeah. That's not why any of them did it. They did it because they believed in something that was more important than they are, right? So if you want to go beyond yourself in life, which you need to, right? Because you have to lead yourself in life. So why would you lead yourself if there's something that's no, if if all you care about is you? But when there's something to you that's more important than you, you can lead yourself to a place that you would have never gone just for yourself. So in the same way that men will serve a country and die for their country, the same way that men can go beyond themselves is when you decide that there's something more important than life that you are. So just to bring that back to breaking limits, you'll break your limits just like a, you know, a mom ripping the door off of a car when her child is stuck, right? (laughs) You'll go beyond your limits when it's not for you, but when it's for something that's more important than you. That's profound. And I think that's the problem with America today. Yeah. It's because it's become I. Everything's about me. My, my pronoun. My feelings, yeah, right. My attention to me, blah blah blah. blah. We'll, well, by the way, we'll get that into a second. But um, as as we're, you know, I want to talk about your role as a pastor because you're also an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you have got Garrett Unklebach coaching Broom Ventures. So you're yeah, a man I get, of faith. I get the opportunity to do business and ministry, and um, it's. It's something that I wanted to do where I get to serve in the role that I serve in in ministry, but not take a paycheck for that, that all my income comes from the things that Your I do businesses. in business. Yeah. You know, when people say, you know, you know, uh, Pastor Garrett, listen, you know, I, uh, I want to really do something that's profound in my life. You know, inflation's been kicking my tail. Recession's uh, are kicking my tail. My boss is telling me I may not have a job. I got these you know, mortgage payments I still got to pay, car payments, private school, da, 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 all, whatever school, you know, rising cost of food I got to deal with. Mm-hmm. But you tell me I got to coach myself, you coach me to go in business for myself or make some adjustments in my life so I can improve my financial circumstances, improve the quality of my family's life. But, hmm, I need to pray about it, though. I got an opportunity in front of me to change my life, but let me go pray about it. What do you say to that person? You need to go pray about an opportunity to change your life. If God's presenting you an opportunity, right, well, you should be prayed up before the opportunity gets there is what I would tell you. Um, but you prayed up already. <laughs> but the, yeah, you should be prayed up before the opportunity arrives. And, and I'm not going to throw out like wisdom and discernment and it's, it's important to weigh alignments and the things that you do. But I would also say this, that God puts, uh, I love uh, this scripture, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God placed eternity in the human heart. But also if you have a relationship with God, he's given you a new heart. And if something is in your heart, right, the word also says that, where the desire, uh, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also like what is in your heart is what you treasure. If your life is about you, you're going to treasure the things that will enrich you. But if your life is about serving God, if that's what you want to do with your life, then also the things that God is putting within your heart are things that you can do to do that, right? You know, I mean, we, we know only God knows our heart and we know our heart. Other than that, the word says that, you know, a man by his fruit, but if there's a desire within your heart, you didn't need to have other people examine that or test that for you. It's between you and God to know, I want to do this for the right reasons, right? And if God has placed something in your heart, right? The same way that God uh, placed a dream in Joseph's heart, right? If you look at the story of, of Joseph, it doesn't even say that God gave him a dream. Yeah. It just says that Joseph had a dream, yeah. right? But what did Joseph do, 
right? His, he had a dream that people would bow to him. People would say, oh, that's so wrong. That's so arrogant. Why would people bow to you? <laughs> that, that's really how people yeah. can look at a dream sometimes, yeah. right? Like, oh, you want to be successful? Why would anyone bow to you? Okay. Right? Yeah. And, but it doesn't even say that God placed that dream in Joseph's heart. It just said Joseph had a dream. Nothing goes his way. For 13 years, he's incredibly excellent, though. And he ends up, if you know the story, ends up yeah. number two strongest guy in the entire world, right? Number two to the Pharaoh. Yeah. And this is when the Egyptian empire is the strongest nation in the world. And what, is, what does God do with Joseph? God uses Joseph to make a way for his people, right? So God, God needs successful people. Joseph was an incredibly successful person that God used because of his excellence, because of the way that he served, because of his excellence, he found himself in a place where he provided for all of God's people, yeah. right? So just to answer your question on like, oh, what should I do about this opportunity? Talk to your mentors, maybe talk to your leaders, have some wisdom and discernment, but at the same time, don't be thinking like, oh, should I, should I try to do more? Um, should, you know, is it, is it okay for me to be successful? It's certainly okay. And I'll say the other thing that kind of like holds people back from being successful or should I go after this opportunity is fear. And I have a big problem with fear. Uh, fear is the one thing the enemy yes. wants to use to hold you back, yes. right? Like God can work with your sin. God can work with the mistakes that you make. But when you're afraid, it'll make you disobedient. When you're afraid, it'll keep you from taking the opportunities that you have. There's a great story in the Bible, the parable of the talents. I love it where uh, Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he tells a story where a master goes away on a long journey. And when he, when he leaves to go on his journey, he goes to three of his servants and he's going to give each of them a portion of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, to one servant, he gives him one year's wages. To another servant, so think about it, a year's wages. To another servant, he gives him three years wages. To another, he gives five years wages. A lot of money for these guys. And he says, okay, I'm going to leave and I'll come back. And the master comes back and he calls all those servants forth. Oh, by the way, people don't like this part. This doesn't seem very Christian. Yeah. Uh, it says that the master gave um, money to the servants in accordance with their ability. Boom. In accordance with their ability, ability. right? Yeah. Not, not, you know, everyone gets the That's same. The question. Not everyone gets the same. No, in accordance with their ability, right? Because right, right from jump, it's not equal. No, it's not. But yet, everybody said he's clamoring about equality. But in this example, it wasn't equal because they didn't have the right or the same no, ability. They, they had different abilities. Yeah. So it says to, to one, he gave one, to one, three, to one, five, in accordance with their ability. Then the master comes back and he calls them in to make an account. Right, and that's all of us. We're all yeah. going to have to make an account with our life, Matt. Like what yeah. God has given you, what are you going to do with it? Which also is really important to me in the way that I live my life. One of my life scriptures is Luke twelve forty eight: "To whom much is given, much is required." Mm. I feel like I've been given so much, and at some point in my life, I'm going to get called back before the Master and he say, "Look how much I gave you. What did you do with it? Yeah. What did you do for me?" But to to bring this back to why people won't take that opportunity or won't succeed. He calls the servants back in and the, what the one talent or the one year's wages servant says is so telling around why people fail. He comes back in and here's what he says to the master. Master says, tell me, tell me how you've done. Here's what the servant says to the master. Master, I was afraid. I buried what you gave me in the ground. Here, take what's yours. And master says, you couldn't even give me interest on the money I gave <laughs> right. you, get out of here, you li- wicked and lazy servant, yeah. right? But he told you why he failed. Yeah. He was afraid. Yeah, yeah you've got you've to take some risk in life, right? Because the, the other guys who made uh, money, who multiplied, mm, sure. right? They had to go out and put it into something that yeah. could have gone wrong, yeah. right? The one talent master, I mean, the one talent servant said, well, I didn't want to lose it. 
I was afraid, so I just, I protected it, right? And that's not our goal with our life. That's, yeah. God hasn't given you anything so that you can protect it and preserve it. God has given you whatever he's given you so that you can use it and yeah. multiply it, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you're being afraid, you're not going to use and multiply yeah. what God's given you. Speaking of multiplication, you know, one of the b- biggest multipliers of my life has not been my business. It's actually been my wife. Amen. She's, I mean, I've, I've, I've been married, divorced, and then this is my second stab at marriage. And uh, in that process of me being divorced, that's when I found God. That's when I came to faith. Yeah. Because I said, you know, it's God. The la- it's the last one, too. I'm going to be with this one for forever. <laughs> Correct. Last yeah. one. Done. Yeah. I'm, I'm not ever getting married again. This is it. She is it. She and up, babe, they're it. Done. <laughs> and so uh, in that process, though, I said to myself, okay, God, I tried it my way for 30 years at the time. Yeah. So I'm going to try it your way. And I end up repaying back the mistakes of my 20s for my entire 30s. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm 49 now. I should be experiencing in my 30s what I'm experiencing in my 40s. Because my life was so, you know, so left field. It was, it was just off the path that God, I, I believe, had already intended for me to be. But thank God for... Uh, can, I, can I interrupt and yeah. just speak to some of your listeners who... Because I know you don't want this for them either. Think about your, like, I've, I've witnessed this, and I've, I'm fortunate to have grown up in a family that had their priorities right. Uh, you know, I have, I mean, my sister grew up the same way that I did. My sister's a, a doctor. Her and her husband help people in their marriage. They have their thinking right because our parents knew, like, focused on family. I can tell you for my father, and I think the same way, the most important thing I'll do in my life, the most powerful thing I'll do in my life won't be a business that I start, and I think I'm going to do a lot in my life. The most powerful thing that I'll do, if, if I do anything on this earth that's still here 100 years from now, 500 years from now, it'll be through the children that I raised <laughs> and, and the way that I taught them to live. And so I say that to say like we can get so focused because I'm, I'm guilty too man we can get so focused on like I need to make so much money I got to do all this I got to get you know my business started and, and make this much money by this time in my life and Matt you, I mean, you know some people that are really successful yeah. like super super sure. successful but they've also been bankrupt yep they're bankrupt in their past does anyone talk about that like other than like oh he did it but look yeah. at him now yeah right right you can you can be redeemed financially yeah it's very hard to go back and redeem time with your children. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to go back and redeem a marriage, right? Yeah. You, you screw these things up and you lose time and you can't go back and change that, right? You, and and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to, like, to convict you or make oh, you no, feel no, better no, or anything, no. but, but yeah. you're, like, you're divorced. Like, you, had to, you had to work through that. Correct. That's different. Would you rather have bankruptcy in your past or divorce in your past? I, I'd, I'd, I'd take the, the uh, bankruptcy over divorce, uh, over divorce any time. <laughs> Absolutely. So divorce I say, sucks. I, it does. Time. So I say that to say, to remind all of us, right? It's a reminder for me too, to keep our priorities right. Like what is most important? If you make money most important, you'll make a lot of money, but you'll pay a, a, a price for it that you didn't want to pay. And I appreciate you saying that. And, and when, when you're put in a position of, of, of fatherhood and, and, and leadership, one of the most annoying words also I come across dealing with men of faith, dealing with other Christians is the word contentment. Yeah. Just be content with what God gave you. Don't be so ambitious. Don't push forward. Don't push the envelope. Just be content. Hey, you just got your promotion. Be content. Hey, you got your business. Be content. You got founder, CEO here, th- three different ventures, four different ventures. You don't seem like you're very content. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Um... I'm using what God gave me. I think the the contentment thought process is really like, hey, just be happy. Hey, just, you know, be satisfied with what mm-hmm. you got. Yeah. Don't take any risks, right? And what I 
it's that's the wrong mindset. The mindset or the mission is not to be safe. The mission is not to be happy, right? The mission is to be, this is, this is from the Bible, by the way, so I didn't make this up, right? The mission is to be fruitful and multiply. The mission is to advance the kingdom. The mission is to go out and make disciples, right? So if I'm going to be fruitful and multiply, I'm going to be prioritized or I'm going to know what's most important is, is God, my relationship with, with God, advancing the kingdom, making disciples, my family and those relationships. Yeah. And then every ounce of time, every resource I have left, left after that, I'm going to be as successful as I possibly can, right? Because that amplifies my ability to multiply on the earth, right? So my, my mission is to do as much as I can with what I've been given, not to make sure that I don't make any mistakes, not to make sure that, you know, I don't ever have an issue or don't go bankrupt or protect the, the one year's wages like, <laughs> yeah. like the servant, right? Yeah. The mission is to do as much as you can and do it in the right way. And what a great journey and opportunity that we're given in life yeah. to, to go out and test these things and also be an example of following God and doing all of it instead of like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, be as small as I can. That's just a wrong way of thinking. And it comes from fear, by the way. Yeah. And it, I, just, they, it just gets justified in different ways. And I, I waited 14 years to find a woman like my wife. And uh, I remember uh, our first date because I was going through some stuff. And I, it, was, it was an Italian restaurant. I put all my stuff on this, you know, the Italian restaurant, they have these uh, paper placemats. Yeah. So I just drew out all my stuff, all my garbage. <laughs> Get the, it all out there. Yeah, because I, I was taking a risk. Yeah. Because like, I think I'm going to lock her down. But if she doesn't know my stuff, it'd be, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm lying to her. Yeah, yeah. So, babe, this time I'm going to. But here's my plan, blah, 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 blah. You know what she says? Shh. Is that it? I'm thinking, this is some happy stuff. You're okay with this? She was like, we can work through this. I'm good. <laughs> I need to wipe her up. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so. Did you know on the first date? I, pretty well, close? I, I, pretty, I pretty much did. You know, I was at that phase in my life where I was dating to sleep around. Sure. Uh, you know, I was dating to be intentional with marriage. And, Absolutely. Uh, that's what happened when I came to Christ, when I came to the Lord. And then, and, oh, that's what dating is all about. You know, because I, I just didn't know. I'm from Chicago and. Raised around the con- round conversations, yeah. you know, about yeah. about dating and, and marriage. You didn't have a template. You didn't have Correct. somebody to show it to you. Zero, zero. You know, uh, my template was too short. <laughs> life is too short. Yeah. My life was NWA. My life was house music. My life was it was the it was a city, you know. And so, um, thank God for God, man. Uh, I, I want to have your views. We have some topics here. Yeah, I want to have your views on because I believe the military that you and I both served in. Uh, is much different than the military that is today. Yeah, I, I have friends that are still in the SEAL teams, and uh, I've heard. Even, <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's take a look at this article here. Uh, where did it go? Here, let me, uh, one second, Jordan. I'm going to punch it up here in a second. Uh, oh, wrong one. But the, the, the military today, if we're looking at this quote-unquote woke uh, Department of Defense, um, okay, can we look at the, this, uh, this article right here? Fat, lazy, and woke. Department of Defense puts out shocking study. Yeah, I saw uh, America's weakening military. Dinesh D'Souza posted this the other day. Seventy-seven percent are not fit for military service. What? I want to go read that study. Around obesity. That's not shocking at all. What else does it? So obese. Yeah, that's, that's not shocking. What else? Um, Here uh, we'll go on. On uh, you know, it, it affects military readiness. Uh, that is your war buddies. Uh, they've removed uh, basic tests of fitness to avoid politically uncomfortable facts. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So the, fa- and the, the recruiting pool, 
Because people today don't want to serve in the military. So let me ask you this question. Your kids grow up, and assuming that the military hasn't changed, it's gotten worse. Yeah. Your kids want to serve. Dad, I want to I follow in your footsteps. I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to serve our country. Would you allow them to serve in today's military? Yeah, I would. Um, I think that the world doesn't get better by people who say, like, this is, this is my philosophy, Matt. And it uh, doesn't mean that I think serving in the military now is, would be as good as it was when I was in, when you were in, mm-hmm. or even before that. And there's been some great times in the military. But whatever the situation is, I don't think life gets better by people say, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I think life improves. I think in the, the right mentality to have is that what, if it's going to change because I'm there. Right, I'm going to bring the right way of thinking. I'm going to go help fix the problem. I'm going to be the light in the darkness. Yep, I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to help make it better. Right, yeah. be, uh, it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Like that philosophy, yeah. I would tell my children to bring that into the military. But I would also make sure they know what they're getting into. It's certainly not what it used to be. The level of readiness isn't the same. The culture, everything rises and falls on leadership. So yeah. we have leadership in this country yep. that has used the military as a um, as an opportunity to promote ideologies instead of to use it as a, a tool for strength for this country. I was, uh, I was in a helicopter unit and they introduced the first Marine Corps woman pilot. Her name was Lieutenant yeah. Sarah Deal. And uh, great, she did a great job. And I, I flew with, uh, I flew Blackhawks uh, with uh, uh, Captain Tammy Duckworth, who's, uh, who sadly I yeah. shot down in Iraq. And I know that name. Yeah, yeah, Tammy, she's the, uh, uh, leading the, the VA right now. She, she lost her legs, sadly. But um, those are pilot uh, MOSs. Those are pilot jobs. Right. Um, Let's say they want to become a Navy SEAL. Uh, you, you were talking to me a little oh, off man. camera about so, what that situation was. When I was leaving the SEAL teams in 2016, uh, Rancorp was doing this huge study across the, the SEAL teams, gathering feedback from all of us. And because Congress had been debating it at this time, that they'd been pushing for it. Like, you need to allow, they had just, uh, I think it was the year before they had push women into submarines, right? And then yeah. they were saying you need to allow, because there, there was a rule that you couldn't even try out, right? That you need you to allow- You can be a woman and be in a sub. Well, yeah, you couldn't even, yeah, they, you couldn't have women on a sub and they were, there was a rule that women could not even try out for SEAL training. Also, you know, that was 2016, it's 2023 now. So seven years later, a woman has not earned a contract. But they've allowed training. it, so they've allowed it, it. It's been open, right? But so I'm gonna, um, I say that to say, I'm telling, I'm getting the end of the story now. Um, it's been open for seven years for women to, to try out for the SEAL teams. One woman has not even earned a, a slot to go to Bud's training, right? Because it can't pass a tryout. No, because it's right, right now, and, it, and it, hopefully it always stays this way, it's competitive selection. At, at any point, there's five or 6,000 students who want to go to SEAL training, like heavily working towards getting a contract. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking to a recruiter, they're doing PSTs, they're in the funnel, and they do a class of you know, 200 guys four times a year. Yeah. So it's very competitive. And so the, and those scores, it's, it's athletic scores, it's an ASVAB score, you get some extra points for college credit, and you lose some points. So it's for, not subjective. It's based on, can you pass the physical requirements? Right. So oh, I'm saying okay. a woman has not even started SEAL training yet after seven years, wow. let alone will any of them ever make it. But I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. When I was in, in 2016, they were debating all of this, right? Like, you need to let them in. And some of the officers um, all over the West and East Coast wrote incredible papers and arguments for all the reasons. Well, no, for why they should not, should be, not. Okay. should not be allowed. Basically saying that it didn't add any value. 
right? Like just because it would be fair for to allow women to join this program, it does not improve the quality of the program. And they also wrote about like all the cost changes because okay, if, if we bring women in, we have to make all of these changes. What if gear you know, changes? Yeah. What what if okay? So it's been seven years, right? And not a woman has even started the program, let alone finished. But what if one woman is at a SEAL team? Okay. What is that? You've got 119 guys at a SEAL team and one woman. Has she added value to the program or has she just been a distraction, right? And so the, the point is that what is the mission? The mission is for um, the, the SEAL teams. I mean, they do some of the most difficult missions that the, mm-hmm. the president asked them to do. Mm-hmm. Does adding women to the program make it better? And it, we, what we all believed and what was interesting was when Rancorp came and, and met with us, they gave us all the data. They were just asking for our opinions. Some of the data that they gave us, right? Men and women are not equal. Um, I'll, I'll happen and I'm not, I'm not the most intelligent in that area, but I'll happily have that conversation with anyone. Cause I think it's a simple one. Rand Corp brought all this data to us uh, and they showed like all the different sports where mm-hmm. men and women play the same sport. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause there's not a, you know, women don't play football. Yeah. There's no female NFL, but yeah. there's NBA, WNBA. They looked uh-huh. at all these, you know, golf, tennis, anything that there's women play the same sport as men. Yeah. And the injury rate of female professional athletes to male athletes in their sport and in every sport was much higher, right? Because men, men don't injure as well. Mm-hmm. We have thicker tendons, ligaments, things like that. And they took all that data and they put it against uh, SEAL data where every student going through SEAL training gets injured an average of like 2.6 times. Like I got held back twice for injuries. Like it's very rare for a student to go all the way from beginning to end of SEAL training Your first and, time. Ne- and never get injured. Wow. It's, that's rare. And so they took the data of, they had created this number of how often women get injured in pro sports versus men. And then they took that and put it into SEAL training. And it was like the average woman would get injured six times. Wow. Because of the, the physiology. They're, they're the different. So here's, um, I'm going to show this video because my wife and I were working out yeah. last night because we're doing lunges, you know, uh, uh, Steve Weatherford's favorite uh, uh, exercise. Join, so, join us at Lifetime. Steve yes. and I are doing lunges every <laughs> Wednesday. This, this, was at, this was at Lifetime. So we're doing lunges, okay? Yeah, double pump at the bottom, right? Double pump at the bottom. Yeah. So my wife, my wife is just handling it. I'm having a hard time, right? So anyway, my, here's what my wife says. My wife says, oh my gosh, my butt's twice as big as yours. <laughs> right? I said, amen, hallelujah to that. Yeah. Right? But babe, I said, it's not your butt that you got to worry about. I'm, God gave you hips. Yeah. Right? You got to be worried about if you got broader shoulders than I do. Yeah. I'd be worried about that. Yeah. So, you know, to the point, is it because, you know, that, that point, because my pushback is this, what happens if a woman can do the job? What happens if a woman can add value, assuming that she passes the... The physical if we're if we're taking the same tests yeah like Matt I was a we talked about yeah. how good of an athlete I was not a great athlete yeah um, in Texas you know guys were run, running forty sevens in the four hundred right in, in high school yeah right I barely broke fifty there's men in high school who run a four hundred men in high school who yeah. run the four hundred meter faster than the fastest woman who's ever run a four hundred meter across all of in history. high school and and there's seventeen year old young boys who, faster than a faster who do woman. it every single year faster yeah. than any woman has ever run a four hundred yeah. meter in history I get it right like men are not the same as women and I I, I think it's a, a I don't want if if we're gonna test all of the strongest people for firefighting yeah. I'm right? thinking about this. If, 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 if let's let's take all of Frisco, let's make yeah. Fris- all of Frisco the recruitment pool, and we're going to take the hundred best people, hundred strongest people, and we're going to make them all the firefighters for Frisco. There would not be one woman in the bunch. Yeah, speaking of firemen, firemen carry. 
Let's say, let's say you know, we're, we're, we're going through some, we're, we're, we're taking fire, and you're injured, and I got to drag you out. I, I got to drag you out of harm's way. I, I got a fireman's carry you, you know, medevac. Can I put you on my back with all the gear and my weapon and still be able to, and still be able to fire back? I don't know if, I, if, if a woman can do that from a physical standpoint. The typical woman's frame and, and muscle, that's, that's the, I don't know. I got daughters that are, my daughters are laughing right now because our four-year-old son is half the weight of my daughter's. <laughs> You know, every time, we, I, every time I get the chance to talk about this, I do like to also highlight the women have very different strengths than men. For sure. And, and there is a sport where it shows. Do you know what sport where women have a quantifiable... Advantage over men? A sport. Yeah. Well, it's not even... It's not, I wouldn't even call it an advantage, but when you look at performance, they always beat the men. For purposes of me not holding this show for 30 minutes, what is it? It's golf. Women are, oh, women, wow. are, women are better putters than men. They can see and feel the ball differently than men can. <laughs> and you don't have to make that weird. Yeah, yeah. But we, we, women can putt better than men. And, right, and really? that's, where, that's, where, that's where the money's made in golf. Yeah, right? you, when you look at the stats, yeah. women, the, the best female putters putt on, on average better than the best male putters. Was it drive right? for show but putt for dough? Yeah, for sure. But, um, but also women hit from different tees. There's, girl, there's ladies now that can drive the ball 320, but you got guys on pro- tour yeah. who can hit yeah, it 390. Jacket. Right? Yeah. But I just think that's, it's wow. one, it, it speaks to the strengths that, that women okay. have. When, when, it, when you take the, the strength portion out of it, not just about how hard you can hit a ball, but how well you can control yeah. it, yeah. women outperform men. I, uh, I 100% agree. I went, I went golfing with... Uh, you know, the very few times I do go golfing, I did go golfing in the foursome. There was uh, two ladies there that were in in, uh, in the cart, and they were just they were there. I was laughing because they were jacking further than me. But when it came down <laughs> to the putt, I was like, yo, they you can they can read the uh, like, what do you got the, the green? Yeah, read the, read the green. Yeah, uh, let's go to this next topic here. Um, what else? Fatherhood, the crucial role of strong men in shaping children's lives. It seems to me that the, listen, I've been through this. I've been through family court, family law, very uncomfortable. You know where I was For now. Sure. You know, tasked to co-parent. Like I had to have a judge tell me, "What's your co-parenting?" I'm going to allow you to co-parent. Like you ain't judging. Don't tell me you're the co-parent. It's my kid, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I was just that's a difficult annoyed. place to be. Very. When you're standing in front of a judge and him telling you what your future looks like. Right. Yeah, because I made the wrong decision because yeah. I wasn't the right person. That's called that's called getting humbled. <laughs> you can you <laughs> can you can be humble or you can get humbled. <laughs> it's it. That's it. You think you're making all the right choices. Ah, you just got humbled. Humble pie right here, family court. Um, what's your thoughts on today's um, condition of men? We've got the condition of the military. What's today's condition of men and father? Because you, de- you deal with men on a, on a daily basis, yeah, think, basis with, with a mighty men. I think it's, and that's the most important thing in my life. And I, everything that I am today is because I had great fathers in my life. Every, so, so much is shaped by fatherhood. Everything that I think is wrong in the country today goes back to fatherhood, wow. right? Families are led by fathers, right? Yes. And if you change the families in this country, yeah. you would change this country. Wherever you see an issue, like, and talk to people that you know have like issues mm-hmm. and ask them about their father, right? So many people have issues rooted in fatherhood issues, but all this ideology that's wrong, it all stems back to weak fathers, men not leading their homes, and that's men not leading their marriages, right? I think this is really, it, men carry a different weight, um, like a different responsibility. And this is a, a, in Ephesians 5. People don't like this scripture either, Matt. So I, liked, I like all the ones that people don't like. <laughs> uh, well, the scripture that a lot of men do like is in Ephesians 5 where it says, 
a woman should submit to her husband. Okay, there you go. And, and guys will throw that one all around. Okay. Hey, you, hey, you got to submit to me. You got to do what I say. Um, but, but it says something a little bit different for the men. Right after that, right after that, right? right after that. So women submit to your husbands, right? Because they're they're the leaders of your family. But you know what it says about the men? It says men yes, yeah. should serve and love their wives the way Christ loved the church. Mm. That is so much more of a challenge. Mm. Why is that? The way that Christ loved the church, here's how Christ loved the church. If you understand the whole story of God working with people on the earth, it's this desire to have relationship with us. What can I do? Okay, I'm going to give you leaders. I'm going to give you judges. I'm going to make miracles. I'm going to do everything I can for this to work. Okay, yeah. it's not working. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son yeah. to die for you, that I'm willing to pay whatever the price is that this relationship between us can mm. work. And it says that's how men should love their wives. Women just have to submit to their husbands. Your, your husband can be a knucklehead. Just submit to him, right? And that's a very difficult thing to do if your husband's very a, difficult. If your husband's can, a knucklehead, can, uh, but Jordan, for, can we look at this? The scripture. We'll look at it on the screen. It says uh, uh, Ephesians five twenty two says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord." And that's where it, that's where it is. The next scripture is twenty three. Woo! That's a that's a profound statement. For the husband is a head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which. He is the Savior. Now go, the church is Go down to go down to twenty-five. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her body by washing with water through the world, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So this is what's called of men, right? That you'd be willing to sacrifice, that you'd be willing to do whatever it takes, Matt. Even if your wife's not submitting to you, right? Because this is how Christ loved the church. The Christ died for even the people who didn't want to listen, even the people who are disobedient. He's, made, he's, doing, he's saying, I will do whatever it takes for this to work. You just have to choose me back. This is how men have to lead their marriages. But Pastor right? Garrett, she's not listening to me. I hear it all the time. She doesn't, she's not all, I, I hear it she's so, let me get through. I, I can go out to dinner with a couple and I can tell how a man is at home because guys are, you know, they're all tough outside the home. They're all tough at men's ministry. But then we go have dinner and I can see that your wife doesn't respect you. <laughs> Why does your wife not respect you? Because you don't lead yourself, right? If you would lead yourself, if you would do what you're supposed to be doing, yeah. your wife would humbly submit to you. And if you're hearing this and you're saying, not my wife, you're a bad leader. You should look at you should look at your relationship. One, by the way, if you're married, you made a covenant before God, you need to do everything you can do to honor that, right? But as a man, even if you're saying, well, my, well, my wife won't submit yeah. to me, you have to say, I'm gonna do whatever it takes for this to work. You have to walk away. I'll never walk away. I'll, I'll make whatever sacrifice I have to make for this to work, mm -hmm. right? That's super difficult. That's not, that's not fair. It's certainly not fair at all. It doesn't call the women to sacrifice. And so this all comes back to male leadership. And this is the way men have to lead their families. This is the way men have to lead their marriages. And that's what will change things in this country is when men say, and this is, this is what's happened for generations and generations up until this strange time that we live in now where we're trying to get women into a role to go and sacrifice themselves for the nation right? It is, a, it is the role of a man to pay that ultimate price. And you should live every area of your life that way. Because being a father and being a husband, it's not about you. Yep. And Texas here, this next article here, speaking of that, Texas is trying to encourage this yeah. by having marriages stay together. So Texas bill proposes tax credits for non-divorced traditional married couples. The bill gives a 40% tax credit for qualifying families with four children. The credit will go up 10%, so you got to have four kids. you got to so have 40 more. tax credit. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Because it's keeping the families together. Because right now, the current laws is, 
is incentivized to actually to be divorced. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just, we just did a, a, in, our, in our other episodes, we did a reaction to a woman having eight baby daddies. I'm sorry, 11, uh, eight, uh, eight baby daddies, 11 kids. Why? Because she'd take 30% of his income, 30% of his income, of course. 30% of his, blah, 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 and all the way through. She, so hey, she heard someone talk about multiple streams of income. <laughs> she got motivated. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's her business model, yeah. I guess, you know? But uh, what's your thoughts here about what tax HB 2889 aims to give tax relief to qualified married couples and the amount would vary based on the number of children according to legislative proposal. By the way, I like this because this is encouraging more families to be birthed. It's, well, you know, it's interesting. People like get all mad about like taxes and the IRS code and how come some business owners don't pay taxes. The tax code is an incentivization plan to create jobs, Hello. which creates revenue, which creates more taxes for people. And if you create jobs correctly and you do, because the tax code is not trying to take money from you. It says, if you do these things, you won't pay taxes. If you do these things, you will pay taxes, right? And so the IRS code is an incentivization program to create jobs. I think what Texas is doing there is incentivizing the right things. They're trying to, hey, maybe we should have more families. Maybe we should have stronger families. I'm, I'm sure there's, that's very influenced by, I don't know who wrote the bill, but I'm, I'm sure it's very influenced by their belief that uh, we need stronger families in this country. Said, uh, Republican uh, uh, Slayton, hmm. uh, Texas State Representative Brian Slayton. Why? What, what district? Uh, I'm not sure. That's okay. Um, I come from East Texas. Okay. Okay. We have biblical values that we're, yep. we want people to get married, stay married, be fruitful, and multiply. There it is. He's got, he's got, he's got, he's got, that's fantastic. And I think that, uh, that's, that's my philosophy as well. My wife and I have two right now. We want to have five and Hey, you know, maybe we get to five and, and we're like, Hey, let's go to seven. Yeah. But we think, uh, you know, the way that I think about it is if you can care for them, if you can lead them, if you can financially provide for them, yep. you should have as many as you can, right? Don't have the, th- well, you know, it was hard. You know, yeah. well, I'm tired of, you know, having a toddler or whatever. Yeah. That's it's, you're thinking about you mm-hmm. thinking about what you want. And I, I know the, and my wife feels the exact same way. The greatest thing that we can do is have lots of children, teach them to think and live the way that we do, and that's what will have massive impact on the earth. Speaking of which, uh, Patrick and I were just having a conversation of different religions. You got your, your Jewish, your Muslim, and your, your, uh, your Christians, right? So the population of faiths in the world, the largest population of faith right now is, is Christian. Mm-hmm. But in the next 15, 20 years, do you know what the biggest religion will be based on population? It's going to be Muslim. Mm-hmm. Reason being, there's more Muslim families having more. Yep, they kids. have lots of children and lots of kids. So there's something the the Jewish people have very much figured out about family as well. Some of the oldest, and I and I know you uh, have an education and learn about this stuff and, and what you do in business. Jewish, uh, the the oldest living trusts in the world are in Jewish families. There's some trusts that are over 400 years old. Right, older than this nation. Yeah. I trust older yeah. than this nation. Those people live here in the U.S. As generational wealth. Right? How is that possible? Right? Because if you understand trust law and you understand perpetuity law and all kinds of things in this country, laws change too often to write a contract that'll last that long. The only way that those families have been able to keep a family trust going for over 400 years is because they passed down a way of thinking with the contracts. They passed down a way of thinking with the money. Hey, here's what we do. You know, you know what I I knew college wasn't for me pretty quickly because. Uh, <laughs> I was I was a good athlete, good enough to be varsity, did really well. I saw all these people get scholarships, right? Yeah. And, and I couldn't get one uh, because I was white. And I knew that I didn't want to go to school because of that, because it wasn't a fair program. It was a program wow. where they were incentivizing the wrong thing. couldn't get scholarship because you were white. Wow. Yep. I watched other people get, you know, they're white. I get it. They're I get wa- it. Because there's a quotient, there's the diversity quotient to fill. Yep. I get it. I get it, man. 
Um, I, I totally am. Cows wasn't for me either. I just saw student loan debt, even but, though I had GI but, Bill. The, the point I was making with college, though, is what I think is so wrong about college in this country is instead of, like, here's how people have learned for a long time. Follow your father. Go do what he does. Learn from him, right? For most of the world, that's how it's worked. And just shut up and listen to your father till you're about 25, and then he'll give you some of your own land, give you some of his own things to work. What do we do today? At 18, year, 18 years yeah. old, go off to some random university, yeah. hang out with a bunch of other 18-year-olds that also don't know anything, yeah. and you guys try to all figure it out. And then four years later, you're going to be prepared to lead yourself, to lead a family, to lead a business. Absolutely not. And so by the way, that's why I respect about the most the uh, Mormons right yeah. out here. But the place we just got coffee. There's a guy, a bunch of guys that are in you know, short white sleeve shirts and mm -hmm. black tie. Right? Yeah. they're doing their ministry. They're 17, 18 years old. They just graduated high school, and I asked, "Hey, are you on your mission?" Yeah. And by the way, these guys, a lot of them have to fund their own mission. Right. They have to pay for their own way to serve their faith for a period of two years before going to college. So they're serving our country. So, you know, so. All, all my three older kids, they, uh, they opted not for college for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one of them was from a financial situation. They don't want to be straddling student loan debt. Um, not a good investment. Not, <laughs> especially if you, if you want hey, to learn how to dance. That's what you want if to you do. Don't, if, you don't, if you're young and you don't know what you want to do, join the military. If you're, if you're 18 years old, 19 years old, I don't know what I want to do. Join the military. Yeah, for you, sure. Even in the culture and climate that the military has today, you'll learn a skill. You will learn a discipline, and you'll come out the other end with some financial benefits, and you'll come out the other end with the opportunity to go to school for free. Yeah. And if you still want to go to school at that time, go do it. And the fact that you learn how to serve a purpose greater than yourself yes. helps remove that I you know, factor away from your life. You know one of my biggest lessons in the military was, and you're going to learn this in the military, was how to follow. And you think like, oh, man, in the SEAL teams, everybody was great. They sure weren't. One of my first leaders in the military was not a guy that I respected. But I learned so much from, from following someone that I didn't even think he was a great leader, but I had to. And I learned how to submit, and I learned how to be a part of a team, even though I didn't think my leader's great. Because most people only work, well, yeah, you know, it's easy to work for Matt. Matt's awesome, right? But you have some other boss that you don't think mm -hmm. he's a good leader. And what do people do? They just cause problems until they leave. You'll learn, what you'll learn in the military is how to work on difficult teams, work with people that, there were guys who didn't share my beliefs, didn't share my life yeah. values, but yeah. we made stuff happen. You know, it's funny. I, I said the same thing to, to a friend of mine. It was along the same lines. It was because I remember Lance Cooper, Roy. Roy looks at me and Cooper, who's from Texas. I'm from Chicago. He goes, this is the first time in my entire life I've seen somebody that's not white. And uh, we're looking at you like, so what does this mean, man? What is this? <laughs> anyway, make a long story short, we went through training. We got through the deployments. And guess what? We're closer than brothers. So it allowed us to not see through... It allows us to see through the color of a man, the, the out external and go into our character. Are you the type of guy I can trust? I got so much value from that in the military. When I came, when I first got out of the military, most people would think that, you know, like Navy SEAL served at the time that I served, that like I'm like racist against Middle Eastern people. Mm -hmm. It's actually the opposite. I got to know so many that were excellent people, and you realize like that has nothing to do with who a person is. Like you meet, I met great people and bad people that look like this. I met great people yeah. and bad people that look like that. And you get to go experience so many other cultures and different ways of living. It'll teach you to think differently about America. Well, and if you don't know note, what you want to do, join the military. Uh, uh, Jordan, can we look at my screen here real quick? Uh, you tweeted this uh, to Hillary Clinton. Uh, she's <laughs> like, uh, hey, 
Islam is not an adversary. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. You say, no, Eric, no Hillary Clinton, you are the adversary. So I, I guess you're not exchanging uh, Christmas cards uh, at the no, end of the year? No, me and the Clintons were not on good terms anymore. <laughs> but you said here, weak leaders will be the death of America if we continue to elect them. How does somebody today, I got one more topic after this, but how does somebody today vote for the right leader? How should we align who we vote for? Because that vote is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things I could talk about, but here I think is a great distinct quality of leaders. Look at people who talk not about what they're against, but talk about what they're for, what they believe in, the things that they want to do right, because most politicians today, and God willing, will have someone, a leader like this that's running you know, in 2024, but most politicians will tell you why, well, you know, I don't like these people and I don't like this program and I'm going to take this down and, and those people are wrong and I don't like this ideology. A great leader, and this isn't just politicians, but this is great yeah. leaders anywhere. They can tell you what they believe in. They can tell you what's right. They can tell you what they're going to do. So I would say vote for the people that know what they want to do. And also I would say, look at, look at the fruit, right? The word says, how do you know a man? Not by what he says, not by what he looks like. Look at his life. Look at his track record. The Bible says you know a man by his fruit. It's funny that you mentioned that because your buddy, the Navy SEAL, was he a Navy SEAL, DeSantis? Was he a Navy SEAL or was he a lawyer that so was he, attached with a SEAL he, unit? He, was a, he deployed with a SEAL unit, okay. but he was a JAG. Got you, got you. Yeah. So he's a lawyer. Okay, so um, he, he said something because they were trying, hey, so hey, Trump said this about you. What do you, what do you say to <laughs> Trump back? Clap back. He said, listen, I don't know. Here's, here's what I'll say about it. Yeah. I'm not so sure exactly what Trump is saying about me, but here's why I'm definitely about. I'm, de I'm definitely against these policies. This current administration is putting up this making the American people weaker in America, weaker in the world. Yeah. So exactly to your point. What, what he'll tell, well, what he, so many times he'll say, this is wrong, and here's what Florida is going to do, right? Yeah. Here's what is right. Here's what we Very believe. Very presidential. Not just attacking. And this is also what's wrong with so much just general ideology, I believe, in America today, is that we're really good at pointing out what's wrong, but not enough people are talking about what's right. Jordan, we have one last video uh, we want to share with you guys before we wrap up the show. I can, I can continue this conversation for a few hours. <laughs> I could months. too. Um, on that note, you uh, uh, have a Navy uh, SEAL here. You got a, a Marine Corps uh, door gunner here, but you're, we're going to watch this video here of a Medal of Honor recipient who's in the Army. <laughs> Let's take a look at this. Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They may be watching this right now. Our military should not be mistaken for a cable news gabfest show. We don't care what you look like. We don't care who you voted for, who you worship, what you worship, who you love. It doesn't matter if your dad left you millions when he died or if he knew who your father was. We have been honed into a machine of lethal moving parts that you would be wise to avoid if you know what's good for you. We will not be intimidated. We will not back down. We've seen war. We don't want war. But if you want war with the United States of America, there's yeah. one thing yeah. I can promise you, so help me God. Someone else will raise your sons and daughters. Yeah, yeah. Drinking dope, turn me to a Army Sergeant, Staff Sergeant David G. Bayavia, um, who's awarded the Medal of Honor. Uh, God bless you, sir. Um, your thoughts on what he just said there? I think what 
first comes to my mind is he's a reminder for me, even in a world like today, we're like, man, men, men are so weak. The, we don't have enough fathers, all of that, that there will always be men like that. Mm. It's a quote that I love by Greek philosopher Heraclitus. He said, out of every hundred men, out of every hundred men going into battle, 80 of them shouldn't even be there. Damn. 10. 10. Okay. 10 are going to do a good job. Nine of them are warriors. One of them will bring the other 99 back. Mm. We only need a few good men. And I got to experience that in special operations. I know you experienced some of that in your military journey. But there are people like Staff Sergeant who will do whatever it takes to defend this country. And so I just want to, I want that to, instead of looking at all the negative, let that be an encouragement that there are people, I I forget the quote, it's, I won't say it perfectly, but while we sleep quietly at night, there are men out there ready to do battle. And that's what so inspired me to be a Navy SEAL, Matt, was it was Edmund Burke who said, all that it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And I'm not going to be a man who does nothing in this world. And I know you're not either. Slam dunk. Slam freaking dunk, man. I'm ready to freaking get my, my plate carry back on my chest. Let's go ahead and hit it. But listen, if you've been watching this episode, this is my first ever interview on the Millionaire Goals podcast. We did a bunch of interviews on Seven Fears Club, but this is my first one on our new podcast. This is our seventh episode. Uh, Pastor Garrett Unklebach, uh, where can people find more information about you? Where can people connect with you? Uh, find me on Instagram, Garrett Unklebach. And then you can also find me. Uh, I have a podcast called The Impossible Life. Me and one of my best friends, Nick Surface, my co-host, he balances me out. I need someone to balance me out, Max. If I was by myself on a podcast, it'd be cut, dry, and, and intense. But uh, you know, I'd have a few listeners. But Nick helps it be more fun. Uh, he helps me be more digestible. And Nick's also he calls himself the the first listener. But the impossible life, and we talk. It's really about mindset, how to yeah. upgrade your thinking, and yeah. how to live the greatest life that you can possibly live. So check us out on the impossible life. That's right, because in the word impossible, there is a word I am. The God says I am. That's right. That being said, I appreciate your tuning into this. Whether you're watching this live or you're watching this replay, make sure you pa- connect with Pastor Garrett Unklebach. And for those of you watching this, also, what are your thoughts? What's your feedback? What's your takeaways? Uh, you agree with us? You don't agree with us? Please put it in the comment section below. And before we let you go, make sure you smash that like button. Subscribe to the Millionaire Goals podcast every Wednesday, noon, Central Standard Time, and every special occasion we have special guests like Pastor Garrett Unklebach coming here to the show too as well. So that being said, appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you got some nuggets to improve your faith, to improve your finances, to appreciate how you build your life and how you lead as a man. And for the ladies that's watching this too as well, lead your lives too as, as mothers, as women out there in the marketplace today building a business, building a career. God bless you guys until we meet again. Continue to live smart, continue to love smart, and be money smart today. Bye-bye.